0: Welcome to Black Agenda Radio, where we provide news, commentary, and analysis from a black left perspective. I'm Margaret Kimberly. Coming up, an anthology of the late Glenn Ford's best works and an NYPD shooting of a young black man is under investigation. But first, a Black Agenda Report contributor explains why she advocates for imprisoned journalist Julian Assange. Dr. Marsha Coleman Adebayo is the author of No Fear, A Whistleblower's Triumph Over Corruption and Retaliation at the EPA. She is president of the Bethesda African Cemetery Coalition and one of the hosts of the WPFW program, What's at Stake? She recently spoke at a rally held at the Department of Justice, calling for freedom for Julian Assange. She joins us from Bethesda, Maryland. So tell us about uh, your experience at the rally and why you thought it important to attend and advocate on Assange's behalf. I
1: thought it was important for me to attend because I am a whistleblower. And I think there's a, a particular responsibility for those of us who have actually participated in the activity of blowing the whistle against the United States government, uh, to step forward and to advocate for Julian Assange, we know m- more, perhaps better than other people, the kind of courage it takes to step forward and to commit um, the to commit the act of telling the truth in the face of overwhelming odds, that you're going to be prosecuted, that your life is going to be turned upside down, that you're going to face death threats, that your family will be torn apart, that you will face financial ruin, that your life will never be the same again. So so as a whistleblower, I understand all of this because it happened to me. And so I think that provides uh, me with, you know, it provides me with the responsibility to step forward and to and to explain this to the American public, because right now Julian Assange is not able to.
0: Assange is being prosecuted under the Espionage Act. Espionage Act was not used very much until Barack Obama became president. And he made it a tool uh, for prosecuting whistleblowers, including journalists like Julian Assange. And now journalists anywhere in the world, whether they're American citizens or not, can be snatched up and prosecuted under this... uh, Uh, This precedent should Assange be extradited to the U.S. This is going to be a terrible chilling effect.
1: The intent of the Espionage Act is to um, is to send a signal to anyone who would consider blowing the whistle on the United States government. And I'd say on its multilateral and and its multinational corporate structures that that, that they will no longer be safe anywhere in the world. Um, that is the goal of this activity. And inside the federal government, you, you know, when you're, when you're a whistleblower, living this experience inside the federal government, um, there are just so many tentacles inside the government that's constantly reinforcing that you're not safe, that you're going to meet um, an untimely end that your family will be, that your family is endangered, um, that um, your life will be torn apart if you step forward and you commit to the truth. Uh, In my case, as you know, people will have read in my book, you know, we decided to go to South Africa to actually investigate um, what uh, the, the scene of the crime, as it were the vanadium mine workers in South Africa that were being killed by a U.S. multinational corporation, namely Union Carbide, at the Union Carbide Vanadium Mining Plant. Um, And and it was very clear to me that the tentacles of the United States were very long. Uh, In fact, there was an attempted kidnapping of my daughter on that trip. Um, We had to have armed guards with us at all times. Um, That the U.S. government has very long arms, very long tentacles all over the world, and will protect its multinational partners uh, under the guise of protecting U.S. national security interests. This is the chilling effect for anyone who makes the decision to tell the truth. And one of the things that I said at the rally yesterday, which actually... I, I, you know, extracted from your article is we are all Julian such. We are all in this position because everyone can become, depending upon, you know, where you're at politically, you know, we are all one step away from becoming a Julian or Marsha or, and that is seeing something and making the decision not to remain silent about it. We are all one step away from that. And most whistleblowers, in fact, do not realize that they're blowing the whistle when they first um, make a disclosure. They just think they're telling their supervisor or their manager that there's something that's just not quite right, but, the, but we all share a common fate. And that is that once you commit to blowing the whistle, um, the government and all of this agencies commit to destroying you.
0: You know, uh, uh, you had you talked about how many people uh, blow the whistle just by doing what they think is the right thing. Uh, but Assange consciously made uh, the decision to disclose many things that the u s government did not want the public to know. and that is why he was first prosecuted by the Trump administration. but Joe Biden is continuing with Trump's prosecution. So any talk of harm reduction change can, uh, we can see uh, how uh, that is just not true. How the system works to uh, silence and to make an example of someone like Assange and make sure that no one else, even journalists, uh, think twice or three times before they reveal something the government doesn't want known.
1: Whistleblowers are the skunk at the picnic, whether it's under a Democratic administration or a Republican administration. No one is happy to see a whistleblower step forward um, within the context of the US government or the corporate structure. And I think he was always under suspicion and always going to be a target of US surveillance and intelligence. So that, but that made. Going after Julian with the espionage act, with all the the, the the acts that we may never know about towards him in terms of the midnight phone calls and and being concerned about you know, the food that he would eat or what whatever, or just you know, taking a walk to the to the park and wondering whether the person walking behind you could be someone who would harm you. Um, we may never know about all the micro um, violence that he was subject to um, before he was imprisoned. But one of the things that we know is that one of the ways that the US government sends the message um, that you are not safe and that your life is now going to be impacted by the US intelligence agencies is, is 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 through this this kind of you know daily vigilance and this kind of this chilling effect that not only is the chilling effect towards the public but it's also towards your own life that your life that your life is literally now um, being you know is in the hands of the U.S. government and that they are going to make your life a living hell. And Julian still made it his business. Um, to, to blow the whistle, to continue to blow the whistle. When you think about the information that we learned from Julian, from, from, his, from the whistleblowing, it's incredibly important. And, it, and, and, and it's, it's the kind of information that we just would, not, would never have had access to if he had not committed um, to disseminating the truth throughout the world. Yesterday, I talked about um, the multilateral assassination attempt, because I think that that's really what we're looking at. We're no longer looking at governments that will just put a bullet through your brain like they did with Malcolm X or you know, or, or openly uh, torture you to death like Steve Biko. Now we're looking at something that's cloaked in law, that's cloaked in a legal um, you know, in, in, in legal proceedings that seem very sanitized. I know when I went to Private Manning's um, uh, trial uh, here in Maryland, it was like one of the most terrifying, one of the most terrifying experiences that I've had um, because you go into the, the courtroom and um, sitting in the courtroom you know, surrounded by all of these soldiers, and they're all dressed in their whites or whatever color they had on, with their little shiny buttons. And there was, you know, Manning sitting there, surrounded by all of this—this, this, this, this um, these symbols of power. Private Manning was sitting in the courtroom. It was a military. Uh, courtroom with you know surrounded by fellow officers and they're all in their dress whites or blues or whatever whatever color they had on it just seemed to me that there was just so much attention to detail. Uh, all the buttons were just so shiny and everything had this uh, veneer of being proper and formal and legal and yet there, you know, Private Manning sat in the midst of all of this power and, and regard for formality, and yet everyone knew what the outcome would be. And it, it, it took on this very strange otherworldliness around um, Private Manning. That was just eerie, to be honest with you. And and, and symbolic of the American empire.
0: They, they wear uniforms for a reason. They know you pay attention and they do want it to look nice. Uh, so it was a uh, uh, private Manning who leaked um, a video to WikiLeaks, which showed the murder of uh, uh, a journalist in uh, Baghdad, a US helicopter shooting a journalist, shooting a family, And uh, this was hidden until uh, Private Manning revealed it to WikiLeaks. And uh, Manning was uh, arrested, was uh, kicked out of the military, was tortured, in fact, while in jail, while Obama was president. And the sentence was commuted only for the Trump administration uh, to drag Chelsea Manning back before a grand jury. And. Uh, She uh, quite bravely refused to testify and was in prison for many months before she was finally released. And I think the important thing for people to know is that, you know, you're, you're right, it's not just the uniforms or the courtrooms. But people seem to think that our legal system works the way it should, that we, in fact, get justice when uh, we don't. So Assange is being prosecuted in the Eastern District of Virginia, which is known as a hanging court. Nobody is ever acquitted. No one. And uh, so we have the United States government, uh, in in my opinion, in the opinion of others, uh, violating its own laws. Uh, claiming that um, Assange broke into computers. That's not true at all. The information was leaked to him. And now he faces, um, if he's extradited to the US, he faces certain conviction, absolutely certain conviction. But people don't realize how the system works and seem to think that he has a a fair opportunity in a courtroom when he doesn't
1: yeah that's i mean that that i mean that is the unfortunate um you know belief that a lot of people have in 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 the american in the american system i suppose i mean they also feel the same way about you know little black boys who are hauled before courts um without lawyers that somehow they'll also get a fair trial too and and so and so this this uh you know you know this this the circus continues to to play itself out you know i did want to just mention in terms of you know private manning and collateral and the collateral murder video that the only people who really were punished were not the pilots and not the people who murdered the civilians on the ground um, but the people who who told the truth about it and that's the same thing that's happening with 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 Julian now. I mean he is the one being punished, not not the people that he reported on, not the people who committed these acts of public dishonesty and who stole money and 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 who you know who made the, the playing field uneven um who committed you know assassinations they're not the ones who are who are now facing extradition it's Julian who's facing Um, These kind of court proceedings. And that's the reason why all of us must support um, Julian Assange and we must and we must do everything in our power to stop the extradition to the United States because he will not get a fair trial here. Um, the news media has turned a deaf ear to, um, to, to this issue. You very rarely hear anything about uh, Julian Assange on television, except if it's negative. In fact, yesterday in front of the Department of Justice, there was not a single member of the, you know, of the corporate press in attendance at the rally, even though there were 20, 30 of us outside the Department of Justice, not one camera. Showed up from the corporate media, from you know, from ABC, NBC, CBS. So it tells you that there's there's you know there's the a, a decision has been made um, to silence uh, voices of dissent on this issue, and that's the reason why Black Agenda Report is so important, because it is only the people's media that um, that tells the truth about um, these kinds of heroes that step forward to tell the truth, to commit to acts of truthfulness so that all of us can, can, can understand exactly what's happening in the world and so that we can protect ourselves against people who are actively planning against um, our future.
0: During the, the heyday of WikiLeaks, uh, major uh, media outlets printed uh, what uh, uh, WikiLeak, WikiLeaks information, New York Times, The Guardian, all of them uh, worked with WikiLeaks. But when the state turned against him, they all turned against him too. Right. And the fact that a journalist was among the victims in Baghdad, that um, WikiLeaks revealed to us the fact that Assange himself is a journalist, has not elicited any support or very little support from uh, journalists in this country, they had ruined his reputation, uh, blaming him for Donald Trump's victory, claiming that he, uh, he hacked the, the DNC when all the evidence showed that, he, that information was leaked to him. And uh, that's why it's called WikiLeaks. But they did their jobs in the minds of the public so that even people who ordinarily would be supportive of him uh, now, uh, they either scorn him or ignore him altogether.
1: Anyone who believes, and this is this is actually a quote from you, Margaret, but anyone, anyone who really truly believes in, f- in press freedom must support Julian. You must support him because right now he is the superficial lamb for all of us. And not just journalists like me and you and other people, but for anyone who is interested in understanding how our world works, you know what is impacting um, poverty throughout the world, what is inter- what, how the ruling classes throughout the world are coordinating their policies against working class people. If you're interested in press freedom, if you're interested in understanding truth, then you must support Julian because right now, he is the standard bearer for all of us and he is facing an incredible he, he is facing an assassination a, a couple i think a couple of years ago or maybe sooner uh, later than that he you know he suffered a mild stroke which means that he's now having physical um, you know effects health effects from the kind of stress that his body is undergoing we can only imagine you know the kind of mental torture perhaps physical torture as well that he is undergoing right now so so the very least we can do is to speak out speak out for a
0: standard bearer who is carrying the
1: weight of this issue right now
0: that was Dr. Marcia Coleman-Adabayo in Bethesda, Maryland, discussing advocacy on behalf of Julian Assange. You're listening to Black Agenda Radio. I'm Margaret Kimberly. We now turn to the newly published book, The Black Agenda. Allison Jones and her mother, Janet Jones, operate Source Booksellers, a bookstore located in Detroit, Michigan. She invited me to discuss The Black Agenda, a collection of the late Glenn Ford's best Black Agenda Report columns that was recently published by Orr Books. This is an excerpt of our conversation. Well, these were uh, columns he wrote for Black Agenda Report over the years and the uh, 15 years it existed before he passed away. He had long spoken about um, Putting um, uh, his columns to actually, sometimes we talked about everyone's columns going into a book, having an anthology of uh, Black Agenda Report writings, and uh, and uh, so we were fortunate enough that he completed the uh, the manuscript, that he edited and gone through it and chosen all the um, articles and columns that he wanted um, um, uh, about a year before he passed away.
2: Wow, we are lucky, but exactly. also. Detroit is lucky because there are two pieces in here, the siege of Detroit and there's another one. And it's so clear eyed about what was happening with us. I mean, so many of our local, local activists are just completely, they would completely nod their head the entire time while reading this. And we, in our regular news, that's never how it was reported. Oh,
0: one of the reasons I'm so proud to be affiliated with Black Agenda Report is that thanks to Glenn, thanks to his knowledge, thanks to his very sharp politics, we analyze stories the way nobody else did. So the story of Detroit everywhere else was, well, they went broke, that's it. Uh, Nobody buys cars anymore. It was mismanaged and Black people were in charge. So obviously it's their fault and that's it. That's the end of it. And they're gonna fix everything, but Glenn knew He knew that the city of Detroit was being cheated, that the people of Detroit were being cheated, that the uh, voters, and I don't, these are things that uh, the corporate media don't tell you, just basic facts, Michigan voters said no. They did not like these emergency, is it emergency administrators that they were called?
2: Emergency managers. Emergency managers, thank you. And it was all of the different black towns in Michigan even. Yes,
0: yes, and So it it didn't matter that the voters so much for democracy. Right. So people Mm -mm. clearly said, no, we don't want this. And then what did they do? And then uh, Republicans get in. And that's thanks to Democrats not caring that states were taken over by Republicans. And lo and behold, Detroit has an emergency manager. Um, The banks who pushed the city into bankruptcy were paid first. Uh, Everyone else was paid last. The people who worked for the city of Detroit and people don't realize they didn't get social security. All they had was their pension as city employees. Their pensions were cut. It was a terrible, terrible injustice. And it happened when Obama was president, like the speaking of poor Michigan that he went to Flint and uh, drank some water and said, "I ah, maybe I got lead as a kid, but I'm fine, um, which was just disgraceful. But yes. uh, that's why I, I am so happy and so blessed to have known Glenn and to be affiliated with Black Agenda Report because we as as um, Cornell West was kind enough and generous enough to say about us, we did care about telling the truth.
2: Um, no plan for Black cities, so Detroit was in that too. Um, I mean, there's just so much of that, but then the, um, the book goes all the way, you know, like closer to the end to COVID capitalism.
0: Yeah. I remember when Katrina was happening and people were just lamenting this, this tragedy, this natural catastrophe, this human tragedy. And I remember talking to Glenn and he said, they're going to make sure that New Orleans is not a majority black city ever again. This is their opportunity to get black people out and um, uh, to make this the model for what they want, which is for black people to be pushed out of the cities. And that did happen. I don't know if they've lost the majority, but for example, they established a charter school system. New New Orleans does not have regular public schools. They're all charters. Yes, I remember Obama's uh, secretary of education saying, well, this is a good thing because they only have charter schools in New Orleans. Um, so there, you know, he talked about the right of return, this idea that people had to leave and just go someplace else and not that um, there was any obligation to fix yeah. their city, to rebuild it, to let people come back to their homes and their jobs and their families. So he was very clear. And while he was Definitely a socialist, a Marxist. He was, as I used to say, um, I, I wrote in the foreword, a race man. Glenn was yeah. always put Black people in the forefront of his thought, but mm-hmm. as a socialist, as a committed socialist as well. And that's okay. very clear in the book.
2: Yes, yes. Um, I can remember, um, during that Ka- Katrina time, mm-hmm. there was a couple, they drove from new Orleans to Detroit and they were just like, now we have to live here, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which I'm glad we could make home for them. But I mean, there was no, I couldn't hear anything in their voice or anything in, in this, our small conversation that they were just here for a bit and they were going, they're going to go back. Yeah, I
0: mean, it was it was terrible what was done to that, what was allowed to happen, that the infrastructure was allowed to deteriorate at a point where the city flooded uh, that badly. Um, But Katrina told us uh, a lot about the direction the country was going in, where neoliberal austerity um, is what rules the day. That Mm -hmm. And that was 2005, I believe. And we've only seen it get worse. And uh, the last year of his life, the last year he was uh, writing, he spoke a lot about austerity, which was not just about uh, government spending, but about a system dedicated to um, making people's lives miserable, uh, to Mm -hmm. make sure they're exploited and they don't know how not to be exploited and that they're silent about their exploitation. And you could see that in Detroit, you could see it in New Orleans. Now we see it for the whole country where they just, uh, I'm sure it was phony. First they said $33 billion for Ukraine, then it turned into 40 billion. I'm sure it was 40 billion all along. They just you yeah. know, tried to soften us up with the lower number. But the little bit of help people got last year Uh, with the the COVID crisis, the child tax credit, gone. Um, Extra unemployment. They allowed some states to take it from people. And then, oh, build back better. Sorry, you know, mansion and cinema, nothing we can do. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, that we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be okay with this, that we're not supposed to say anything, that we're not supposed to say anything about this, this ill-conceived effort to try to weaken Russia, which is actually impoverishing the whole world and taking Mm -hmm. our money to do it. Uh, Those those are the things. I know Glenn would have a lot to uh, (laughs) say about it, but what happened in Detroit and what happened in New Orleans, we can see the pattern now, increased gentrification, um, loss of living wage work, all of any protections, the weakening of the little bit of safety net we have, Mm-hmm. All of those are things that Glenn uh, paid attention to.
2: But I just want to remind everybody that on the Black Agenda um, report, there's so much news, Ukraine, NATO, I mean, all of these perspectives, and you won't find them really in any other publication. We are,
0: I mean, I'm pleased to say, and I, I'm being accurate, it's not hyperbole or exaggeration. Uh, we are the only publication, only group of people publishing regularly from a Black leftist perspective, from a radical perspective. So every Wednesday, every Wednesday, BlackAgendaReport.com. Uh, and uh, so this week, uh, we we have history from uh, uh, Black Agenda Review, a group of scholars who uh, uh, present very fascinating history. We have a contributor who's been in Ethiopia and Eritrea. Um, we have uh, uh, we have a poet in residence. I wrote about uh, Roe v. Wade this week and how it is the fault of uh, the Democratic Party who could have protected abortion rights uh, that uh, those rights are now in danger. So and we also reprint articles. If we think something is good, we see it somewhere else, we reprint it. We acknowledge that it's a reprint. So we, um, we have someone writing about the fact that this effort to sanction Russia is impoverishing the global South, African countries in particular. Uh, so if you sanction Russian oil, the price of, and cut the supply of oil, the price of oil goes up all over the world. Mm-hmm. And there are countries that can't afford fuel. People who, um, uh, there's gonna be a food shortage, lack of, if you're gonna sanction Russian wheat, well, there's a lack of, uh, there's a food shortage all over, Uh, the world. So Mm -hmm. um, we touch on so many uh, different issues. Uh, We have a contributor who's in Ukraine right now. We have a story about the upcoming summit of the Americas, as they're calling it, but the United States doesn't want to invite Cuba, Nicaragua, or Venezuela, which means it's the summit of the Americas, unless it's this country the U.S. doesn't like. So I guess they ought to change the name. So it's Mm -hmm. a wide variety of issues. Um, and you'll, you can see it every week, blackagendareport.com. But uh, yeah, you touched on a lot of things. Cornell West, he's, uh, God bless him, is very, very generous man, very down to earth. Another race man, another brilliant mm-hmm. man who's kind enough to give us blurbs uh, for our books. Uh, the very mm-hmm. first chapter I love, it was called No More American Thanksgivings. And okay. Glenn talks about the history of the settler state and how it began and the genocide of indigenous people. It was brilliant stuff. He wrote it 28 years ago. Um, he touches on everything that happened. Black Agenda Report started in 2006, but we were at Black Commentator before. So some of these are Black Commentator articles for a lot about um, Iraq. Um, we, of course, we just talked about uh, Katrina. We talked about um, Detroit. He always spoke about. Uh, the political trap where Black people are trapped in the Democratic uh, Party, or feel trapped in the Democratic Party, and aren't, don't know that we can and should be independent, and that is when we thrive. Policy in Africa: uh, a lot of, I, I, you know, if people are Obama fans, you better get your smell, excuse me, smelling salts before you read this book, because we didn't change our politics because there was a Black um, uh, president. president.
2: So, just the, just the one on, um, Libya.
0: Yes. The, the we chapter Libya. I'm glad you brought Oof. that up. Nobody else talked about it was another issue like Detroit, like new Orleans. Yeah. No one talked about the crime that was committed against uh, the nation of Libya in 2011, carried out by Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Um, It destroyed the Libyan state, killed the president. Libya still does not have a true government, uh, um, a coherent state. Uh, It was a race war against African migrants and darker skinned uh, Libyans. And it was a proxy war, the US using jihadists as proxies. And after they destroyed Libya, they tried to use the same people to destroy uh, Syria which fortunately got help. And um, uh, while the U.S. is still punishing with sanctions is still a, 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 a state. So mm-hmm. that's, a, that's the history we're trying to, I'm trying to uphold. And I often, um, you know, I can't, those are big shoes to fill. Um, I don't have uh, Glenn's political history, although I learned a lot from him. <laughs> I'm going to end the way Glenn would always end if he was speaking. And I will say power to the people. That was Allison Jones in Detroit, Michigan, joining me to discuss the new book, The Black Agenda. You're listening to Black Agenda Radio. I'm Margaret Kimberly. Next, we talk about a fatal police shooting. A young black man named Ramique Smith was recently shot and killed by NYPD officers. QB, a member of Bronxites for NYPD Accountability, discussed why the New York State Attorney General is investigating. We're discussing the fatal police shooting of Rameek Smith on May 10, 2022. There are many unanswered questions that have resulted in an investigation by the New York State Attorney General's office. QB, tell us what you know about the shooting and what your questions
3: are. Um, Well, from what I know about the shooting, my very, I guess, honestly, my very first question is, what was the reason for them to interact, approach, or, you know, have any kind of contact with Rameek Smith? Because, you know, in all of the articles and all of the communication about the incident, it's not clear about why he was approached by police, why he was going to be stopped. I saw one commentary where it said that he looked suspicious, but what does that look like? You know, what, does, what 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 was he doing that compelled you to exit your vehicle to approach him? That was the first thing that kind of struck out to me is kind of odd because it's, you know, since Eric Adams has been in office, um, It's been a lot of, he's obviously brought back the, you know, the unmarked cars and the plainclothes detectives. And it's just that kind of era, you know, all they did was come into the black and brown communities and harass people, period. If you had a hoodie, if you walked a certain way, you know, it was open season to be approached, to be stopped, to be frisked, to be arrested, to be harassed. And it just seems like you know Eric Adams has brought that air very much back with him during his um, seat as mayor, and you know this 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 incident is indicative of that because there is no real reason he wasn't observed committing a crime. He was in programs. He was awaiting trial for another case, and that previous case, you know. Another, it's like a quality of life. That case, he jumped the turnstile and upon being arrested for jumping the turnstile, he was discovered with a gun. It's starting to be the broken windows policy all over again. Is not being able to afford 375 a reason to now have a record or a reason for death? Because this is what it eventually led up to, you know? Yes, it's, um, I
0: wondered the the same thing. There was no reason given for the police to have pursued him in the first place and to say uh, that he looked quote unquote suspicious.
3: Well, that can just mean being black. I mean, because you look at it, I mean, in the same exact state, not New York City, but New York State, you have the incident that happens in Buffalo where, you know what I mean? People are not looking at anyone else but black people because someone was able to walk into excuse me a white man was able to walk into a grocery shop armed and kill 10 people and you know they don't go when when it's talking about those kind of people they don't go into their past they don't start bringing up all of their prior arrests or if they had run-ins with the law the first thing that happens in those kind of cases is they look at the white person's mental health. That is the first question that is asked. That is the first Avenue that they go to. It's like, well, what was his mental health like, or did he have issues with mental health? Because it's almost to say as if, you know, white people cannot commit crimes. And if they do commit crimes, there has got to be something mentally wrong with them because that is something that is with, you know, black and Brown people. And that happens in black and Brown communities. And they're the ones that, commit crime, but you see these senseless murders and it's just the double standard because here we have somebody, Rameek Smith, suffered from mental health. Yes, he did. And uh, he lived
0: in a homeless shelter. He was free awaiting sentencing for a conviction where he was, uh, as you just described, uh, allegedly caught with a uh, gun uh, after um, jumping a turnstile. And, right. of course, Mayor Adams, uh, any any tiny bit of reform he is vehemently opposed to. And anyone in a high profile case such as this, because one of the officers was uh, was shot. Uh, he immediately says he should have been uh, in custody already. And his friends in the media, particularly the New York Post, immediately seize on this fact and mm-hmm. say as um there was nothing wrong with this particular shooting going back in time in order to justify what the police did
3: see the issue with that is number one you have to take a look at Rami Smith I mean here he is you know in the system and in the system in all facets he was homeless So he was in the New York City homeless shelter system. You know, he had mental health issues and there was a mental health agency that was involved with the the 2020 arrest and that he had to, you know, do work with them. And so then you have the mental health piece of the city. And so it just shows you, you know, how the system fails black and brown men, black and brown women. He was getting or supposed to be getting all of the interventions that are allotted to him in this situation. And it doesn't seem like, you know, number one, there was no protection because the mayor has been very public about his, you know, distaste for the reform and the less is more. He's been very open about that. But I think another thing that people fail to realize and that a lot of people voted for, this man is a cop first. Before he's a mayor, he was a cop. And he, in this situation, they still don't even have all of the facts about what happened. You know, the attorney general, like I said before, you know, the attorney general is now involved and he's investigating, they're investigating. But you look at it as he's already made a statement saying that this was a good shooting, that it was justified, that he stands behind his officers. There's still an open investigation. Like there's still, you know, we don't know if the gun, if that, the, the shot came from that gun. We don't know if it was a real gun. You know, we don't have any information regarding that. But irregardless, he jumps to the defense of the police. And unfortunately, it gives me, you know, vibes of when Giuliani was mayor. Because Giuliani was the one that, you know, once a cop was in a shooting or any kind of misconduct, Giuliani would jump on that TV and he would jump to their defense and he didn't care he didn't want to hear anything else he would jump to their defense and then it gave the police officers in New York City a sense of entitlement or feeling like you know we can kind of do whatever we want because we've got the backing of the mayor and the mayor's going to come out and defend us every time and it just it's it's kind of giving me deja vu with eric adams and the way that not only did he jump on tv and say what he had to say but it's like you know you're saying this man should be locked up what about the systems and the interventions that were in place leading up to his death why isn't the mental health facility being held accountable you know what i mean like he had to do a program with them but he
0: was um uh involved in the system but He was um, attending his uh, court required sessions. He was doing everything
3: the law required him to do. That was thrown away because, you know, people have an agenda. And I always look at, you know, when people wanna get happy, like, oh, we have a Black mayor, we have a Black president, it's very dangerous for that kind of thinking because when you're so happy to be a part of something, you will overlook the miscomings. You will overlook different things that are going on because you're so happy to be included at the table. You're so happy to have a seat at the table. And unfortunately, when dealing with Black people in, you know, in politics, at some point, if you are a Black politician, you are going to have to sell your people out. There is no way around that, you know, because the country is founded on white supremacy it's founded on violence and so when you look at it any person that is involved with any kind of government you have to at some point in time give in to the white supremacy or you know let certain things slide or let certain things happen that are you know unethical or they're not for your people and so it's just with mayor adams it's like people saw him they voted for him thinking i think i don't i don't know what people were thinking when they voted for him but it's feeling very much like mayor giuliani is back in office and it's very you know it's very dangerous i feel i don't feel safe in new york and it's not even the crime as as so they put it it's because NYPD has a multi billion dollar budget they have a multi billion dollar budget if you guys have such a lavish budget. It's because you see, cops are sitting on the side of highways and parked cars on their phones. They're standing in the train station on their phones. And this looks like overtime. This is what their overtime is. This is what they're picking up these extra hours, but you're not really doing anything. And I think a, a big piece of, even in this instance, with NYPD being so reactionary, this is why. You know, New York City looks the way it does because everything is off of reaction. There is no prevention. There is no community work. There is no trying to, you know, get involved with the community. It's just simply reactionary actions with the people of New York and the people of color of New York. Better yet.
0: To uh, to your point. The NYPD
3: budget is $10 billion,
0: in fact. Yes. And while other city agencies face cuts, uh, Adam says he will not cut the NYPD. And to your point, there are obviously ways it can be cut just as other any other city agency.
3: Exactly. Because other city agencies, including the Department of Education, have received cuts. And so it's, you know, to say that, you know, you're not going to cut the budget for NYPD But then look what's going on. Like the crime, there's shootings all of the time. And that's because there are no real resources being put into these neighborhoods. There are cuts being made, like you said, to other city agencies. I knew that when I was growing up, I could get a job with the Summer Youth Employment Program with New York City. That's how I got my first job. And they have made so many cuts to that program, they have reduced so many jobs for that program, almost a chain reaction. Like once you start doing that, then you have kids now that have time to be outside that are not doing anything. You know, there's no after school program for them to be in. There's no, you know, resources that are helping the community or putting, you know, money back into the community. So then you have children that start to wander. And unfortunately, you know, when children are wandering and they're getting themselves into trouble, it's because what else do they have? What else is there for them? And so when you look at a city that has a multi-billion dollar police department budget, what are they doing with that money? Yes,
0: absolutely. It's uh, uh, on the one hand, they say that crime is up and they justify asking for more police, justify uh, asking for more uh, money for NYPD, but it isn't clear that there's a connection between this money being spent and public safety. Uh, I I wanted to uh, raise another question. One of the officers in the encounter with Rameek Smith, one of the officers Mm -hmm. was shot and and wounded, uh, shot and uh, uh, quickly released, Yes. but it reminds me of another fatal shooting of a Black man in the Bronx, Antonio Williams, in 2019, very similar circumstances, was minding his own business, was pursued by the police, Mm -hmm. and in their effort to subdue him, one of the officers shot and killed another. So in this case, we don't even know if uh, we're told that this gun was found uh, on uh, Rameek Smith, and that he shot the officer it's a good thing the attorney general is investigating because it isn't clear if that gun is the one that shot the officer or if his partner shot him.
3: To me, it just sounds like, I mean, it did initially, that was my first thought is that the partner shot him um, because they were running. As we know, and not to be funny, but most of the NYPD officers that I see are not in good shape and cannot sustain running you know, more than a block after an assailant or whatever have you. And so you don't know, you know, running, he could have tripped, the gun could have went off. I mean, because also the officer wasn't seriously injured. You know what I mean? Like he was released at the, the same day. If I'm not mistaken, he wasn't kept overnight. You know, it wasn't anything major. So it just kind of makes you wonder, like, what did he get shot with? Too many questions for there to be a loss of life behind it. That's what another issue is, is that somebody is dead. More than someone is dead, that witness can't speak anymore. Exactly. And that's why
0: that is why we need to speak about these questions about the lack of body camera footage. Uh, They all have body cameras, do they not? Uh, And that makes me suspicious. If. The evidence showed uh, Ramique Smith to be at fault. I'm sure we would have seen the footage by now, and but yet we have not
3: seen any. no, and I think that's the biggest piece is that you know they were insistent again this was when more money was needed to produce these cameras to make sure that all of these officers had body cameras. And then there's been all sorts of malfunctions, either the body cameras malfunctioning, either it was never on, it was turned off, it was covered. There've been all of these issues since the, you know, release of the body cams. And like you said, I, I believe the mayor to be very arrogant and someone like him is not, if he had the footage to show um, Rameek, smith shooting the cops he most certainly would have had it on air it most certainly would have been on every channel because again he's trying to get this push for you know the bail reform he doesn't want any of you know uh, any of these new reforms he doesn't want anything you know and so to prove his case had he had a video of ramik shooting at the police he would have been able to say well look at this you know we have it on camera you know there's nothing else to say because that's just his personality so for him to not have that, for us to not see the footage, that means there's more questions. There's more questions. There, th- that doesn't make sense. Because if the, the one thing that can stop all the criticism, there was backlash and there was criticism, according to the mayor. The one thing to stop that, show us the, the video footage. My, my belief is that there is no such video and that if there is a video, it does not show Rameek Smith shooting that cop.
0: That was QB, speaking to us from New York City about the fatal police shooting of Rameek Smith. Thank you for joining this edition of Black Agenda Radio. Be sure to visit blackagendareport.com where you'll find a new and provocative issue every Wednesday.